Chapter Seven of Half a Century by Jane Grey Swisshelm. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. The Deliverer of the Dark Knight, age nineteen to twenty one. Quiltings furnished the principal amusement, and at these I was in requisition, both for my expertness with the needle and my skill in laying out work but as i had no brother to come for me i usually went home before the evening frolic which consisted of plays male and female partners went through the common quadrille figures keeping time to the music of their own voices and making a denouement every few minutes by some man kissing some woman perhaps in a dark hall or some woman kissing some man or some man kissing all the women or vice versa elders and preachers often looked on in pious approbation and the church covered these sports with the mantle of her approval but was ready to excommunicate any one who should dance promiscuous dancing was the fiery dragon which the church went out to slay only its death could save her from a fit of choler which might be fatal unless indeed the dancing was sanctified by promiscuous kissing if men and women danced together without kissing they were in immediate danger of eternal damnation but with plenty of kissing and rude wrestling to overcome the delicacy of women who objected to such desecration the church gave her blessing to the quadrille my protest against these plays had given offence and i chose to avoid them but one evening the host begged me to remain saying he would see that i was not annoyed and would himself take me home the frolic was only begun when he came and asked permission to introduce a gentleman saying if you do not treat him well i will never forgive you there was no need of this caution for he presented a man whose presence made me feel that i was a very little girl and should have been at home he was over six feet tall well formed and strongly built with black hair and eyes a long face and heavy black whiskers he was handsomely dressed and his manner that of a grave and reverend seigneur a russian count in a new york drawing-room then when counts were few could not have seemed more foreign than this man in that village parlour less than two miles from the place of his birth he was the son of the old revolutionary soldier with the unpronounceable name who lived in the beautiful valley this i knew at once but did not for some time realize that it was he who rescued us from the black waters on that dark night carried us to safety and light and left us again in darkness this incident so much to me he never could distinguish among the many times he had helped oliver and his seminary girls out of scrapes and he never spoke of these adventures without that same laugh which i noticed when father oliver thanked him he had elected me as his wife some years before this evening and had not kept it a secret had been assured his choice was presumptuous but came and took possession of his prospective property with the air of a man who understood his business i next saw him on horseback and this man of giant strength and full suit of black riding a large spirited black horse became my black knight my sister hated him and my mother doubted him or rather doubted the propriety of my receiving visits from him his family were the leading methodists of the township his father had donated land and built a meeting-house which took his name and his house was the headquarters of travelling preachers there was a camp-meeting ground on the farm his mother lived without sin 
prayed aloud and shouted in meeting while the income and energy of the family was expended in propagating a faith which we believed false a marriage with him would be incongruous and bring misery to both these objections he overruled by saying he was not a member of any church would never interfere with my rights of conscience would take or send me to my meeting when possible and expect me to go sometimes with him he proposed going up the allegheny to establish sawmills and if i would go into the woods with him there should be no trouble about religion so there seemed no valid objection and two years after our introduction we were married on the eighteenth of november eighteen thirty six then all was changed i offended him the day after by shedding tears when i left home to go for a visit to his father's house and his sister had told him that i cried while dressing to be married these offences he never forgave and concluded that since i cared so little for him he would not leave his friends and go up the allegheny with me his services were indispensable at home since his brother samuel had gone into business for himself and the next brother william was not seventeen and could not take charge of the farm and mills his mother was ready to take me into the family although the house was not large enough to accommodate us comfortably the old shop in the yard could be fitted out for a schoolroom i could teach and he could manage the estate in this change he but followed that impulse which led the men of england centuries ago to enact that marriage annuls all previous contracts between parties and which now leads men in all civilized countries to preserve such statutes it is an old adage all is fair in love as in war but i thought not of general laws and only felt a private grievance by a further change of plan i was to get religion and preach wesley made the great innovation of calling women to the pulpit and although it had afterwards been closed to them generally there were still women who did preach while all were urged to take part in public worship my husband had been converted after our engagement and shortly before our marriage and was quite zealous he thought me wonderfully wise and that i might bring souls to christ if only i would i quoted paul let women keep silence in churches and learn of their husbands at home he replied wives obey your husbands he laughed at the thought of my learning from him and said what shall i teach you will you come to the mill and let me show you how to put a log on the carriage it was a very earnest discussion and the bible was on both sides but i followed the lead of my church which taught me to be silent he quoted his preachers who were in league with him to get me to give myself to the lord help him save souls by calling on men everywhere to repent but i was obstinate i would not get religion would not preach would not live in the house with his mother and stayed with my own his younger brothers came regularly to me for lessons with my sister and i added two idiotic children bound to his sister's husband to whose darkened minds i found the key hidden from other teachers his brothers i adopted from the first in place of the one i had lost and they repaid my love in kind but books soon appeared as an entering wedge between their souls and religion which formed the entire mental pabulum of the family i believe there was not at that time a member of the pittsburgh conference who was a college graduate 
few who had even a good common school education while two of those who preached in our meeting-house and were frequent guests in the family were unable to read my husband's father was old and feeble and had devised his property to his wife to be divided at her death between her sons my husband as her agent would come into possession of the whole and they thought i might object to the prophet's chamber but it required no worldly motive to stimulate these fiery zealots to save a sinner from the toils of calvinism it is probable many of them would have laid down his life for his religion and when they got on the track of a sinner they pursued him as eagerly as ever an english parson did a fox but it was to save not to kill in these hot pursuits they did not stand on ceremony and in my case found a subject that would not run my kith and kin had died at the stake bearing testimony against popery and prelacy had fought on those fields where scotchmen charged in solid columns singing psalms and though i was wax at all other points i was granite on the solemn league and covenant with the convictions of others i did not interfere but when attacked would render a reason my assailants denounced theological seminaries as preacher factories informed me that neither dr black nor any of his congregation ever had religion and that only by getting it could any one be saved my husband became proud of my defence and the boys grew disrespectful to their religious guides their mother became anxious about their souls so the efforts for my conversion were redoubled from the first the preachers disapproved of my being permitted to go to my meeting and especially to my husband accompanying me he refused to go on the ground that he had not been invited to commune and as i sank in the deep waters of affliction i did so need the pulpit teachings of my old pastor which seemed to lift me and set my feet upon a rock one day i walked the seven miles and back when the family carriage went to take two preachers to an appointment three horses stood in the old stone barn and my husband at home with his mother this gave great offence as the advertisement of a grievance and was never repeated during all my childhood and youth i had been spoiled by much love if love can spoil i was non-resistant by nature and on principle believed in the power of good forbearance generosity helpful service would should must win my new friends to love me getting me into the house with my mother-in-law was so important a part of the plan of salvation that to effect it i was left without support or compensation for my services as teacher tailor dressmaker for my husband's family he visited me once or twice a week and ignored my mother's presence while she felt that in this as in any church joining conflict only god could help me and stood aloof to me the sun was darkened and the moon refused her light i knew that jealous god who claimed the supreme love of his creatures was scourging me for making an idol and bowing down before it for loving my husband i knew it was all just and clung to the almighty arm with the old cry though he slay me yet will i trust in him to my husband i clung with like tenacity and could not admit that my suffering was through any fault of his the summer after my marriage mother went for a long visit to butler and left us in possession of her house my husband bought a village property including a wagon-maker's shop 
employed a workman and sent him to board with me he also made some additions to a dwelling on it that we might go there to live and the workman boarded with me while my mother-in-law furnished provisions and came or sent a daughter to see that i did not waste them her reproofs were in the form of suggestions and she sought to please me by saying she had allowed james to get certain things for me but he did not visit me any oftener than when mother was at home and when she returned in the autumn the potatoes were frozen in the ground the apples on the trees and the cows stood starving at the stable door then i learned that i had been expected to secure the fall crops on mother's lot and this was not unreasonable for i had married a pennsylvania farmer and their wives and sisters and daughters did such work often while the men-folks pitched horseshoes to work off their surplus vitality lack of strength was no reason why a woman should fail in her duty for when one fell at her post there was always another to take her place up to this time mother had left me to settle my troubles but now she told me i must turn and demand justice that generosity was more than thrown away that i never could live with my husband and bear his neglect and unkindness and that of his family i must leave him defend myself or die that i should have been expected to gather apples and dig potatoes filled her with indignation she advised me to stay with her and refused to see him but i shuddered to think it had come to this in one short year and felt that all would yet be well so i went to live in the house he provided for me his mother furnished my supplies and he came once a week to see me here let me say that in my twenty years of married life my conflicts were all spiritual that there never was a time when my husband's strong right arm would not be tempered to infantile gentleness to tend me in illness or when he hesitated to throw himself between me and danger over streams and other places impassable to me he carried me but could not understand how so frail a thing could be so obstinate End of chapter seven